0: Our first scripture reading this morning is from the fifth chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew, found on page four in the New Testament of your pew Bible. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word.
1: Uh, I'll get to the scripture reading in a moment, but I wanted to start with a, a little uh, introductory set of observations to contextualize the words from the prophet Isaiah. Well, anyway, back Cyrus, a great announced that they could go home. The exile was over. For 70 years, they labored under a series of empires, beginning with uh, Nebuchadnezzar and moving then to Amal Marduk and Nargolisir and Labashi Marduk and Darius, Nabonus, and then finally Cyrus the Great. None of the names will be on the midterm. Beginning with Nebuchadnezzar II, each administration held them as captives. And for them, every administration was just like the last. They continued to work other people's lands, and did the accounting and the administration and the craftsmanship for the benefit of their pagan overlords. They were forced to keep their tradition and their identity somewhat underground. Their faith and their ritual and their texts, they they kept to themselves in their little private ghettos and encampments. How can we sing the songs of Zion in a foreign land, they wrote in poetry. They just wanted to go home. Historians credit this period of Babylonian captivity for creating a resilience in the Jewish people. They could not maintain their identity linked to a temple. The temple had been destroyed. And it was hundreds of miles away in ruins. And so they connected themselves through secret readings from the Torah and discussions of their holy texts and quiet, unauthorized celebrations of Passover and other traditions. In Babylonia, the people found a mobile identity. These tools were rediscovered centuries later and made possible what we know of as modern Judaism, a people who understand their identity in traditions and in texts, rather than real estate and in temples. Guided not by priests, but by rabbis. Were it not for the skills and rituals that had been honed during their Babylonian captivity, the Jewish people would have been completely assimilated out of existence when the temple was destroyed again in 70 A.D., but within their history, they had a way of being God's people without necessarily having a promised land. All of this was transformed when Cyrus the Great overwhelmed the Babylonians and claimed the land for his great Persian Empire. With Cyrus came new rules, new gods, and a liberal politics that not only permitted Judaism to return to Jerusalem, but also sent the returning exiles with protection and provisions to rebuild their city and their temple. Urban renewal had come to Jerusalem. Those who returned from exile, remember, were the scholars and the accountants and the master craftspeople, the literati and the musicians, for 70 long years, while they were slaves, they served in other imperial courts. You remember the story of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, bowing the knee and in the service of the school for Darius. Those who remained in Jerusalem were the descendants of the illiterate, the common laborers who eked out a living without much order and with poor resources. But they, too, were descendants of Abraham, kin, you might say. But they were very different than those who were returning from captivity. The problem with urban renewal is always the people who are in the way. And so when Isaiah wrote the 58th chapter, he'd observed tragic divisions among the people. The exiles, full of their stories of victimization, found their captivity as something to renounce, and they were suddenly moving their deep sense of longing for Jerusalem into full restoration. But those who had been living there all along were not so keen on being revitalized. And they were treated quite shabbily by their returning kinsmen. They were, you might say, in the way of progress. And so Isaiah writes these words in the 58th chapter. Shout out, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Announce to my people their rebellion, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet day after day they seek me and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinances of their God. They ask of me righteous judgment. They want God on their side. Why do we fast but you do not see it? Why humble ourselves but you do not notice us? Look, you serve your own interests on fast days and oppress all your workers. You fast only to quarrel and fight and strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today, I will not make your voice heard on high. Is such the fast that I chose a day to humble itself? Is it to bow down your head like a bulrush and to lie in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the straps of the yoke? to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke? Is it not your share to share bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? And when you see the naked, to cover them, to not hide yourself from your own kin. Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard then you shall call and the Lord will answer you shall cry for hope help and he will say here I am to remove the yoke from among you the pointing of the finger the speaking of evil If you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong, and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. The word of the Lord. One of the great struggles with these prophetic passages is how do we negotiate an application. The principles are very clear, but they seem to be talking to people who are not us. Zoning commissions, developers, building inspectors, aldermen, the collective administration of empires. We have little control on how the proposed Obama Obama Presidential Library will affect the gentrification of the Woodlawn neighborhood and the likely displacement of many people who are poor. And so we can just shake our righteous head and say what on earth are we to do? One of the frequent conversations with the Lagrange Ministerium is how property values and subsequent taxation in our own village are making it impossible for the children of moderate income residents to remain in their own community. These are forces beyond our control, which explains why Isaiah is so unglued in his introduction. He feels as helpless as do we when we see large forces oppress. Scream like a trumpet, says Isaiah. We've got to get the attention of those who can do something about it. Those being affected are not troublesome outsiders. They are our neighbors. But how on earth are we going to make a difference? So hundreds of years later, when Jesus is preaching to the descendants of those to whom Isaiah wrote, he suggests different metaphors while Jesus does, does take on the hypocrisy of the elites in separate disputations, usually in argument in synagogues, when speaking to his own, he suggests the power of little contributions, little things like salt and light. If something needs salt, it doesn't need much. But there's no real substitute for salt. Trust me, our house is currently using Mrs. Dash. With all due respect to Mrs. Dash, it's not quite salt. How much light does it take to illuminate a dark room? Years ago, I was working and visiting a ranch in western Nebraska way up by the South Dakota border, just on the banks of the Niobrara River, in Keapaha County. Moonless nights were dark. I mean, until your eyes adjusted, they were, can't see your hand in front of your face, dark. Off in the distance, I saw light. And I assumed because it struck my eyes as so bright, it must be the booming metropolis of Valentine, Nebraska. After all, Valentine, Nebraska had a couple of schools and it had street lights and it had buildings with parking lots that were illuminated. Several streets. That must, in the distance, be Valentine, Nebraska. Dr. Barmore, who was the owner of the ranch and our host, said, That's not Valentine. Valentine is that soft glow way over there on the horizon. Well, where is the bright light coming from? He said, Oh, that's Bassett, Nebraska. Bassett, Nebraska. Two mercury vapor streetlights 17 miles away, and I thought it was a booming metropolis. Salt, light, little contributions making a big difference. What in your life needs to be salted? Where do you go where it would be helpful to show what light you have? Imagine the salt shaker trembling at a pot of stew, pretty sure that only a cup or so of salt would make no difference, unless you add the whole salt shaker. Just a shake or two, a pinch, and the entire stew is transformed. This is the season of epiphany. The wise ones we celebrated coming and offering their gifts to the baby Jesus five whole weeks ago. But this period, this season, is a full season of celebration that marks not only those foreign potentates coming and seeing the Christ, but a whole series of lessons and songs and experience about the light coming into the world. It is a season of aha moments. When the presence of Christ allows us to suddenly see the world as it truly is. To savor the world-changing power of God's love for that world. Tasting the stew just after that pinch of salt. Aha, that's right. Turning on the light to see what's going on. A single watt of a nightlight suddenly renders the walk through the dark hallway safe. Isaiah was not looking for sudden, massive reforms. He spoke of little things in the face of great injustice. What does he say? He says, Remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil. Offer your food to the hungry. And satisfy the needs of the afflicted. Your light shall rise in darkness and gloom shall be like the noonday. The power of the little. The dash of salt. The flicker of a lamp. They may not seem like much. But as Jesus pointed out, we're the salt. We're the light. And we're all this bland, dark world has. A pinch. A flicker. That's all God asks. Amen. Please stand and join with me in the creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, I tell my son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under the body of his father, was crucified, and buried, he descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body.